welcome to this episode, the social learning one of the Women Talking About Learning podcast. Once again, we thank everybody who recommends and shares the podcast. You might be surprised to know that the most common way for people to find out about podcasts is through family, friend and professional recommendations. So if you find the podcast useful, please do let people know. This week we're covering a topic that's been requested for a while and is also very close to my heart in social learning and we have two absolutely super experts to talk about it. Our first guest is Catherine Dartnell. Catherine is a learning designer and consultant with a passion for putting people at the heart of all her design. With over 20 years experience working in learning and technology, Catherine has worked in many roles, including working as a learning designer in corporate and HE sectors and designing on a range of platforms, and four range of platforms, including FutureLearn. Catherine has a master's in online and distance education, and she often describes this as being a transformative learning experience. Our second guest is Rachel Burnham. Rachel is director and consultant for Burnham L&D. She's worked in learning and development and organisational development for about 30 years, and is still learning about learning and learning about people. Rachel specialises in visuals to help people work, think and learn more effectively and she's an avid sketch noter, which she'll talk about in the podcast. Rachel has worked across private, public and voluntary sectors and is currently the chair of the CIPD Manchester. Both Catherine's and Rachel's contact details will be in the show notes and the show notes, again, seem to be getting longer each week and if you do find these helpful, please do let us know. Please make sure you listen to the end of this week's episode because we've got some information about some upcoming episodes that you may be interested in. This is Women Talking About Learning. This is Catherine and Rachel talking about social learning. Hello, Catherine. It's lovely to be talking with you today about social learning. How are you? I'm great, Rachel. Thank you. Yeah, I'm really excited to be here as well. And I'm amazed at how we met because actually that was kind of an example of social learning. Um, this is really our first proper conversation, but we have had contact before, haven't we? We have, yeah. Thanks to the wonderful world of Twitter, I think. Um, I think I was in um, an Open University hosted learning conference one evening and I was tweeting as, as kind of a back channel and the topic uh, was about accessibility. And I remember that you picked up on this and you put me in touch then because you tagged in Mike Ozzy. And, uh, and then we connected after that and I've spoken to Mike since. So, uh, so yeah, a lot of connections I've made is literally through just, you know, getting yourself out there and just being part of these channels. And it's really, it's sort of this sort of um, randomising factor sometimes, this sort of serendipity that, that can happen and can lead you to making all sorts of connections um, because you've you've sort of shared something and you've responded and then made a connection with somebody. Well, yeah, I mean, obviously um, on, on Twitter, because you do such a lot of sketch noting and they're so visually appealing, it's something that I always notice in my feed. So you always know, so I recognise your name when it comes up. Um, but sketch noting, I think, because it is so, it does capture the eye. Um, that was another serendipitous connection uh, with, I was doing my master's and I was writing an assignment. And I thought, okay, I've got this list of references. And I thought, I'll have a little go at sketch noting. 
So this was back in about 2014. And I created this slightly dodgy diagram. And, um, and I popped it on uh, Twitter. Um, and I tagged in um, John Stepper. And all sorts of references in there. Anyway, John Stepper picked up on that. And then we connected. And so before the Working Out Loud uh, book was launched, he'd actually sent me a pre-read copy. And we'd had lots of sort of conversations early on. So, and that was something I thought, oh my goodness, I can't believe that I've actually made that connection through something as simple as just one little tweet. And that's so valuable what, what you gain. And I think that whole idea of um, working out loud and sharing things that you're working on um, can be a way of really um, uh, establishing both who you are but also drawing people to connect with you people who've got sort of similar interests or sometimes have never come across a topic before and that can really open things out I mean in fact that's in a way how I got started with sketch noting um, I saw people who were drawing on Twitter. So I saw Simon Heath and I saw uh, Doug Shaw who were doing all sorts of kind of art and drawing related things. And I'd never, I mean, I didn't, my background wasn't drawing, um, but I saw them. And then that sort of challenged me to give it a go. But then you have to, then there's that sort of scary bit when you think, oh, shall I, shall I put something out there? How will people respond? And, and in, in this case, it was like, oh, is my drawing good enough? And, you know, just giving it a go. And, and in fact, I've, it's led to a whole sort of changing career for me. Um, so that now that I'm drawing and sketchnoting all the time, but that started with sharing and a bit of sort of social contact through Twitter. I think um, I think you have to be a little bit brave, don't you, to start off with. Um, it's almost like take a deep breath and and just do it and and jump on in with social learning. I think because it is learning, you are learning. So there's a temptation to want to have that finished product and everything to be just so before you you share it. But really. That's part of the process, isn't it? You need to put out your your first, your second or your third thoughts. And then it's the feedback and the conversations that follow that enable you to build on it, to actually develop and to learn and to and to grow. But it's just uh, diving in, I think, is the, the tricky bit to start. Yes. And I think sometimes that can cause people to hold back because um, that in other situations, we kind of prioritize or we we sort of even idolize in a way the people who are on the podium the people who are and that they're, they're experts or what's the, that awful phrase thought leaders and um, and um so 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 then then that's also a different kind of social learning we have this sort of social learning that actually you have to be an expert to be speaking. You have to be an expert. You have to really know and have a finished idea before you start sharing. But sometimes you, you develop your ideas by sharing. So by putting something down on paper or putting, sharing a thought with other people, which could be in conversation or it could be in social media, and then you start to develop it. And, and uh, sometimes you've got an idea about where you're going with it, but sometimes it's almost until you've started sharing it, you haven't quite worked out what 
that is it's a bit like this conversation <laughs> you don't quite know where it's going to go no and I suppose starting starting at the beginning it's it's I think it's finding finding a channel that you feel comfortable with to start off with yeah I, I mean maybe maybe we, it'd be helpful to look at what what we mean by social learning or what does it what's what does that mean to us I think social learning um, a lot of the time gets gets linked with sort of online learning. Um, but of course, social learning is is everywhere. So it could be it could be learning online. It could be learning um, collaboratively face to face. Um, social learning is, is just learning um, with and from others. So it's kind of a really broad definition. Um, I think obviously you've got the the whole background, the sort of Bandura, the Vygotskys and, and the whole learning theories um, around that. It's so powerful. I think I think that's the thing for me is that it's um, social learning is, is absolutely powerful. I think I agree with you. It, it's absolutely everywhere. It's per pervasive. That's the phrase I was looking for, powerful and pervasive. Um, you know, that it's in some ways, we've we've started to think about it as though it's linked to technology, but actually it's probably just about the type of learning that is that we've all experienced. You know, growing up as children, we would learn from the people around us, you know, from what we observe in parents and older siblings and friends and, you know, just people we come into contact with. And that kind of um, copying and mimicry and modeling on others, you know, becomes really, you know, is really, really powerful. And that doesn't stop when we're, when, as we grow up, you know, that's why organizational culture has such an impact. There's so many things that we learn about within organizations just by, you know, what people are doing and what we notice that people are doing around us. Um, but it's also, it's the oldest, you know, I was thinking about how we've probably always learnt through social learning. I mean, I was thinking about, I, you know, being, being loving art, I, you know, I was thinking about cave paintings and Creswell Crags in Derbyshire is a great place in the UK where we've got cave paintings. And I was thinking about people, you know, sat around a fire, um, telling stories, um, watching what more experienced people are doing and people drawing on walls. And actually, we've got social learning going on. So it's always been there. And then suddenly we started thinking about it. Oh, you need technology. We need some kind of specialist technology. We need social media. We don't. It's everywhere. <laughs> yeah, def definitely. And I think um, I think along the way, over the last sort of, I don't know, 10 years or so, I think there's so many different experiences that I've had of social learning. And um, I think one of them, um, one of my sort of early memorable ones was, um, I don't know whether you remember uh, Martin Cousins and Sam Burrow creating a, a MOOC back in, uh, as on Curator, and it was how to be an effective digital curator. And I think that was actually in 2014. So I'd been learning about MOOCs in my master's with the OU in the OpenLearn platform. Um, and doing all sorts of stuff there. And so when I saw Curator, I thought, gosh, this is so exciting. I thought, I'm straight on in there. And I remember the leaderboards, and I remember trying to get to the top of the leaderboard, which I did once, but I got really, you know, the pressure was too much up there to come back down. 
anyway, so this this MOOC had just kicked off. So I was talking to all of these people um, uh, in, online and it was having an absolute great time. And then just at that time, um, it was learning technologies in the January. So we're about two, two weeks into this MOOC. And um, I remember the, my children and husband saying, so where, where are you off to then today? I said, oh, it's OK. I'm, I'm going off down to London um, to meet some um, some kind of uh, some people in a bar um, who I've met on the Internet. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds so dodgy when you put it like that, doesn't it? <laughs> you know, and I thought and to this day, I was like, you know, kids do as I say, not as I do. And um you know, when we talk about sort of social learning and women, I mean, I literally remember, obviously, I'd gone to learning tech where I was, you know, perfectly safe. You know, I'm, I'm in Kensington, for goodness sake, just wandering around an exhibition centre. Um, but afterwards, we all met in, it was, I think it's one of Martin's first bar camps that he organised. And I remember, you know, walking off down these little back streets and wandering off, I'm looking for this bar and wandering on in. But then the minute that I'm at the bar, I, I noticed somebody's name badge and um, I recognised the name from somebody that I'd been talking to in the MOOC. <laughs> and then it was straight away, you know, felt very at home, um, chattering away, and it, and it kind of continued all evening. So a, a lot of connections and experiences. I think you just need to, to, to kind of just go with it. I mean, the interesting thing is I did that same MOOC, but I think I did it at a later stage than you. So I think this is one of the things that you can have social learning that's live and in the moment, you know, which could be because you're in a bar face to face and, and chattering away, or it could be, um, you know, through some kind of technology and um, responding in, in that in that MOOC, you were, we were responding to videos and articles and, and then having online conversations. And some of those were pretty much, you know, at the time, but, but some of them, like I came in later on, and I think a couple of years later and did that same MOOC, and I was still responding to comments and, um, you know, getting loads out of it, even though it was um, asynchronous, it was, you know, out of out of time. And um, I think the thing is that you have to get comfortable if you want to do that. Again, it's this bravery that we were talking about before, about being comfortable expressing yourself um, uh, and, um, and, and that willingness to put ideas um, out there. So when I'm talking about asynchronous, what I'm, I'm talking about is that um, I think when Catherine was doing the MOOC, people were pretty much doing it at the same time, not necessarily at the same minute, but within the same day, within the same week. Whereas I came back um, to, I came to study that particular course and um, I was studying, I think, two years later and the, those comments were there in fact now I remember seeing your your comments <laughs> and seeing you and seeing your name there Catherine and I was responding to comments that perhaps had been posted two years later and then some people had then contributed maybe six months after that and other people had contributed maybe a week before me and then some people contributed after me um, so they they 
we were taking part in the same discussion, but it was sort of spread out and extended over time. So that's what I mean by asynchronous. Um, and, you know, it's interesting how social learning can take many different, so many different forms, you know, because you get social learning that's very, very informal or that was social learning, but in the context of a planned and formal course although there's quite a lot of space within it you know if you were just attending something that was um, a formal lecture there's still some social learning because you know you turn to your neighbor and you have a little chat maybe <laughs> um, and you you observe what's going on there and people ask questions but there's a lot less scope there I mean, it's definitely the whole um, whether we have an asynchronous learning experience or whether it's synchronous and people are kind of based in cohorts, perhaps. It's always a big design consideration because if you're designing some kind of social learning experience and there may be a platform involved or a, or a number of channels that you're going to use as part of maybe even a blend, it's thinking about um, who will be in there, who, the, who are you going to have the conversations with? So will there be um, peers working alongside you at the same time to have those conversations with in, in the activities? Or will there be maybe some kind of mentor or a facilitator that will be there to provide um, guidance? Uh, so, so these are all, if, when, certainly when I'm involved in the design of them, it's looking at the resource that's available. Otherwise, sometimes you might create some kind of discussion activity and really people are just talking to themselves in a room uh, and occasionally people will say well if you look at a, a MOOC um, that's gone past it's like walking through a party after everyone's gone home <laughs> and you're just sort of watching what happens but then I completely agree that you can you can learn through lurking you can learn through all sorts of different um, different ways and I, I know somebody I was having a conversation in um I think it was a, a webinar the other week and someone was saying, oh, well, MOOCs, nobody ever finishes them. Um, you can't just then you can't just dip in and out. And I was like, oh, I can. <laughs> it's like objectives in, in MOOCs. If, if you pay for a course, then yes, you, you may wish to finish that if that was your goal. Um, but there are so many social experiences out there and online learning experiences you can have. I think it's your objectives that need to be met, not necessarily the ones of the course. So if you get what you need by dipping in and dipping back out, I think that's absolutely fine. So I would never get hung up on having to complete something. Yes, and I think that's one of the joys of social learning is that it can be very personally focused, you know, on what you want to get out of things so that um, and, and, and sometimes you might have a very clear objective. So you go out to make connections and find information and get involved in conversations to meet a specific goal. But sometimes you don't actually have that. It's just quite open ended. I mean, some of my experiences, um, for example, in, in setting up um, unconferences, um, which are events where the participants um, decide the agenda, often on the day, and, um, and then uh, people perhaps share resources and have different kinds of conversations and experiences together, that often you don't have 
a specific um, objective in mind, it is that serendipity about what's coming up there. And, and people might have questions that they've, they've come with um, that they want, would like to answer, but they might also discover new questions as they go through that experience and, and then be surprised by some wonderful bit of learning that they didn't even know that was an issue for them. But actually, oh my goodness, that is such a helpful thing to have discovered. Um, so, so, you know, I think this is, you know, sometimes we can be so mapped into people have to have objectives from the start. We have to design with um, objectives that are very fixed and firm in advance. But actually, one of the joys of social learning is that it can be much more open ended than that, but still highly valuable for people. I think sometimes we have to work a bit harder to convince organisations that that is a good use of time and resources and energy. I think definitely having some kind of co-created curriculum is really valuable. And you, when you were talking about having the on conferences and not having a set agenda to begin with, um, it reminded me of um, rhizomatic learning. So uh, rhizomatic learning, um, Dave Cormier created um, a MOOC back in, I think it was 2014. And it was, um, I think it was Rhizo 14 it was. So rhizomatic learning, it works like the, the rhizomes of, um, of, a, of a plant, like, like tubers so it's all like this root network so you have little little hubs of people and they all individually branch out and these roots grow and in these groups they decide where they're going based on an initial coming together anyway so I was quite new to this I mean it was as I say it was 2014 but I thought on I go so in I go rhizomatic learning and I'm not kidding it was so rhizomatic I couldn't find everyone <laughs> I managed to find I got onto this landing page and I was like okay so there was this place where everybody introduced themselves and then everybody was going off into these different channels and making different groups and communities so that was an example of I think depending on the type of social learning experience you're going to have it depends on your own level of confidence and also your current um, ability and knowledge of the channels in which people operate in because everyone's got their preferences to where they go um, but yeah diff different communities some people were grouping on Facebook some people were grouping on on Twitter communities um, at the time little you know uh, Google spaces so uh, so yeah but it needs to be it does need to be fluid and I think that's 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 the beauty of it it's in the conversation and, and what what gets adjusted after that I think that's where perhaps sometimes people can find that a little bit confusing, I was going to say, um, you know, and and maybe that can be a barrier um, for some people. I think ease of access and um, some kind of helping hand and guide initially can be can be quite helpful to help people to build confidence and to feel comfortable and um, safe to give to try something out. You know, we've we've spent all this time directing through formal 
schooling education and then often through higher education, directing people to um, to learn in a very in a way that's very directed, you know, to very specific curriculum ends to to be able to pass exams. And and then suddenly we're saying, actually, let's do it completely differently. And while some people jump into that quite easily and actually find it a breath of fresh air, I think other people can find that um, quite confusing. So sometimes um, simpler tools and simpler approaches can help people to get started and, 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 and almost kind of needing a bit of laddering um, to, to, to get people sort of started and feeling actually it's okay for people to have different experiences and get out different things. You know, we might need to help people to develop things like um, critical thinking, uh, skills in reflecting. Um, how do I take what I'm I, the conversation I'm having here the bit that I'm learning here and how do I make use of that what can I do with it so there might need to be some support some guidance even some role modeling within there you know it's a bit like you were saying earlier that you could turn up in a particular um space for discussion and you're the only one and it can feel a bit like you're talking to yourself that actually we do need sometimes to put a bit in there just to help that to get going, a bit of almost seeding um, to help that to get going. I think definitely depending on depending on the subject, depending on the goal of the individual, depending on where they're, they're coming from and what their skills are currently, uh, depends on the amount of scaffolding that you would build into a course. So the, the RISO example that I was talking about before, that would be an example of what was called a CMOOC. Um, and a CMOOC was based on uh, connectivist principles. So uh, connectivism is talks about your your knowledge and your learning comes from networks of of people and maybe even devices, platforms, locations. So to learn in that way, it's much more um, much more free form, much less structured. So if you're somebody who enjoys a structured approach or who needs that at that time, then the social learning that you would see in a, an ex-MOOC was more structured. And those are the ones you'd see kind of on the, the Coursera's and the, the edX's at the time. So when you're designing for these experiences, we, we always look at, you know, the, the human-centered approach. So you, you look at your, your learners, you look at a persona design, and you think, well, actually, who am I designing for? How do they work? What, what do they use? What can they access? And what do they need? And then the activities that you design obviously link to the, um, the outcomes, but you also have to have something you think, okay, how can this person apply this activity in their context so that they can actually create something that they take away from this experience that's you know, unique to them and they can utilize. And, um, and I think a big thing as well is, is encouraging use of different spaces. So, there's a paper that I refer to. It's almost, honestly, it's almost weekly. It's almost like a standing joke. Um, so this is my first time this week. And it was a paper by um, John and Anderson um, called Agrophobia and the Modern Learner. And uh, the first time I read it, I was just a bit, I was talking about an LMS. But basically, it was talking about different spaces and different levels of openness that people had in different spaces. 
So you would have um, groups, sets, nets and collectives. So it's a little bit like in this conversation that we're having here. Now, if this was a closed chat, we might share really very openly here because there's just us and that's that's fine. Now, if you open that out from our group into maybe going into um, Twitter or LinkedIn, then the degrees of openness that you would have would maybe reduce. So depending on where you are in your learning process and how your confidence is at that point, depends on the space that would suit you to be working in. So I'm a real advocate of having these cohorts as you go through um, some kind of social learning experience. So you've got a little bit of, you know, psychological safety, because when you've got your training wheels off <laughs> or on, <laughs> you need to really you need to feel comfortable to share. Yeah. And then widening that out so that when you feel confident, that's when you branch out to start showing your work on, you know, Twitter and LinkedIn and other channels. I think that's a lovely, I mean, I love that. That's, it's a great, um, a great, that's a great image that and that idea of the, the, those different kinds of safe spaces. I think the other thing for me is about having, um, having friendly faces and helping hands. You know, there's something, something about that. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about sometimes when you get uh, people coming along to an unconference for the first time or when you're helping somebody to get started perhaps in a Twitter chat so a sort of learning conversation on Twitter and um, it's it's that having some people who sort of welcome people and um, and and sort of uh, create a sort of uh, welcoming environment and um, and 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 perhaps do some of that role modelling, you know, and some of that saying actually it's okay, it's okay for it to feel a bit oh I don't know what's quite going on here, um, but it will be all right. Um, so that sort of that in that encouragement, um, and I guess what that raises is, you know, who who looks after these sort of communities of practice space? You know, um, here am I, I'm 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 on a podcast and I'm rotating my hands, but you know, who looks after the space? You know, do we have? Can they be self managed, or do you have to have somebody who's got a responsibility to look after the space? I think it's that's always a difficult one um, and the conversation I'm sure I've had a lot of times as well in different circumstances, but it is said that a true community of practice can't be created. It, it's a, it creates itself and it exists and it self-sustains uh, due to the dynamics of the people within it. So if you artificially create a community which is then either moderated or facilitated it has less of that true community feel and you lose some of the flexibility. That said, some communities, you need to have them um, as part of a social learning blend. And yes, you do need to ignite them to get the conversation going. And then you can pull and then you can pull back. But I think I think what you, what you, you hit the nail on the head with that friendly face. And I think what I always do is I always put myself firmly in the shoes of the person who is doing this for the first time. And it is it, it can be really daunting. And it is so nice when you do something, you share something and you get a positive response and a welcome. 
And that's how the community works. So that the accomplished masters of the community bring in the the new participants until their participation becomes, you know, legitimate. And they're no longer on the on the periphery and they're, they're in there. And then they start to learn and develop. And through modeling the behaviors that welcome them in, they in turn then start to welcome in in others. And so it's this wonderful sort of cycle that that happens. And that's very self-sustaining. If you can get, you know, if you if that if that is a sort of I was going to say enabled, but you know, if that develops organically, that's wonderful. I suppose sometimes what can happen is that people think, oh, these people are the leaders, you know, of this group, and actually, those people are having to be those perhaps people who are quite experienced within it and comfortable within it actually have to be quite careful about doing that role modeling of stepping back and um handing over you know yes and and letting go letting go um to, to enable other people to show leadership um so it's it's different if it's it's different ways of showing leadership in that in that sort of context i think it's i think as you say it's important that uh, people you can let go of the reins so not everything has to be controlled. And sometimes the most exciting things happen when things aren't controlled. And that's when, when the, you know, chance, um, chance meetings, chance conversations. And uh, yeah, free, free form tends to be yeah, quite good. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I wonder whether it's, is it that people act like leaders or is it that people expect leaders so somebody coming in you know reads the situation as they're being leaders when in fact actually there aren't leaders it's quite interesting I suppose it depends what we mean by leader um you know because it can be a formal role but it can actually be that it's just that somebody acts in that informal way as a leader I think it is it is interesting because I always think in terms of learning, if there's um, a leader, that's someone who's maybe uh, controlling and guiding more heavily. And that would take me to be thinking about a more behaviorist style of learning. Now, some learning is quite behaviorist. You know, it's like, this is what we're going to do. Now do it. I'll have a look at what you've done and then we'll fill in any gaps. Um, And it has a time and a place. So sometimes um, it's finding the least the least path of resistance to get to the goal. Now, people's motivation is really important. Now, if people aren't interested in the community or the experience or the outcomes, then perhaps this more behaviorist approach and having more leadership and more input from um, a mentor or facilitator would be essential if it was something mandatory like compliance that people had to go through. But if it was something that people were had a, like a self-motivation um, they'd be more likely to to engage and start pulling information and making connections so I think it depends on the subject it depends on the person mm. and so yeah it, the what's in it for me that what's the purpose of this community um, or what's the community the, the, the purpose of this space or 
that that can inf- that can influence that i think it's also interesting about the language that we use so one of the things that i do is i'm a co-host for lnd co-working so this is uh, an opportunity that's offered in a number of locations and now virtually um uh for people in lnd and od roles and coaches and hr people to come together and it's interesting we we've used the term co-host so those are the people who are taking responsibility for creating and um, I'm going to use that phrase holding the space so sometimes it's literally turning up in a coffee shop and saying this is today it's it's co-working and this is where we are Um, and then it is about welcoming people in and what's interesting is how different people who come along to those events see that so that what's interesting is that you get some people who come along and they start hosting they're not they're not they haven't got that label but they start doing those behaviors of saying to people connections oh you might you might find it interesting here why don't you come along and and they they might be quite good when they're there about saying to people oh um you know is anybody has anybody got any questions or things that they want to explore and so they start doing that hosting uh behavior and it's it becomes this shared responsibility um and that's and that's lovely because i think host is quite an accessible so i you know i quite like that idea of a host um who well you know because that's something that we can understand you know we've probably most of us have hosted parties or um and uh, and that brings in some of those things that you need in a in a community to to get people started and contributing and feeling comfortable to ha- give it a go yeah and i think i think having having communities um I, I, it's just so important now and really highlighted by our you know recent lockdowns that we've had and i know going through lockdowns and not seeing people socially I know that I was seeking a lot more um, webinars and social learning experiences because that gave me that sense of connection again and and I think that's one thing that we've learned is that people need connection and we need contact with others and we we thrive and survive on that and and I think one of the great things about uh, social learning in in face to face communities, online communities, courses, learning experiences, any of it, is the wide range of people and role models and potential mentors that we can meet. So as um, as women in the workplace, we may not be able to find an ideal mentor who's sitting next to us or opposite us. But if you look at the wider world that now we have, we have this complete leveler of um, technology and online spaces. So I think it really gives us the ability to access people and it's really low stakes. It's not like you're bounding up to them at a, at a conference necessarily and say, oh, hi, I'm such and such. You know, you can, you can invite someone, you can connect, you can have some really gentle conversations that are really valuable in the long term. That, that can work for, for other people people who also find sometimes perhaps they get excluded from those those sorts of connections that can help um so it, it can be it can be a way of 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 opening up for all sorts of different groups of of people um because um 
there aren't the same accessibility issues or there are different accessibility um, uh, issues issues in there but are there any are there any things that make it difficult for women to participate in social learning or for other groups to participate um, any things that form barriers I mean I'm wondering about that bravery thing that we started off with um, and you know does that does that have an impact um, what do you think it's it's a difficult one because I, I I wouldn't like to I wouldn't like to generalize really because everybody's different and everybody's backgrounds and everybody feels differently about things um so in the same way that you know we, we have wide access to all sorts of people that we can meet and learn from and grow from yeah I think it depends it depends on the person I mean you do see you do see sort of horror stories on LinkedIn about people who make connections or are, are approached to connect and they're not positive um, connections that are made and you know messaging isn't isn't really on on track um, so there is that negative side that you that you see but but yeah that's uh, it's, it's difficult mm. Mm. I mean the other thing I wondered about was um about the time that sometimes to be involved in um, in social in social learning and particularly in say some of the 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 open um, platforms to really get value. I mean, I'm thinking about so I suppose my own journey in terms of Twitter use and some of the other social media platforms. That actually it took a while one for me to build my confidence in it and um, two to build connections and you know to find my voice within it um and 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 that time actually needing to invest in in yourself and in your development and in those in those connections and i think in i'm just wondering about in a, in the context particularly of this last year and a half when we know that um people who've been working from home and women particularly may have been impacted by the in, uh, the effects of homeschooling so that just having that time you know and having the energy to be able to do that particularly when it's often seen as an addition to the sort of core part of your work now I for me it's you know it's essential it is I mean to use you know um Howard Yash's phrase, you know, learning is work and work is learning, that the two are connected together. But I think sometimes in some roles, it's hard to um, make that argument, um, perhaps hard to get that time. So I do wonder sometimes if the time issue, you know, that if you've got those additional pressures of caring responsibilities which seem to have impacted more on women whether that could be a factor in there yeah I mean I'm a I'm a big fan of of learning in the wild so to speak so a, a lot of my learning will be done I'll be self-directed I'll pick up sort of social learning experiences different channels and I think sometimes it you know, we, we do have different uh, demands on our time. And I, I sometimes wonder, um, a lot of my explorations, the early ones were linked to, it was linked to my study. So things like, you know, creating a personal learning environment and a network. And so I had, I had that uh, scaffolding really for my exploration. And so I was spending the time 
um, and I've got support to do that. But finding the time that, yeah, that, that there is a lot of work to put in before you feel kind of confident with that sort of digital identity um, that you then continue to develop, you know, and, and I suppose your identity, um, you could be bolder in different channels. I know I tend to be, I tend to be a bit braver on Twitter than I am on LinkedIn. I don't know why that is. <laughs> there is something about different um, different uh, environments having a slightly different feel and character to them. I think you can feel more at home in some, you know, different people will feel more at home in, in some um, social media than in others. I, I know loads of people who are on LinkedIn and seem to sort of to go along swimmingly in there, um, but, but, you know, don't have the time of day for Twitter or, you know, can't get the head round around Twitter, whereas I like Twitter, but I, I always find LinkedIn harder to, 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 to get to grips, to get, get to grips with. Um, I guess it, there is something about needing to experiment a bit in terms of social learning. And that in itself takes time and and confidence um to get comfortable with and to be able to see that there might be some value in persisting with it and trying different things out um and uh i don't think it's necessarily um a quick or easy thing you know a lot of organizations have have sort of gone through a phase of saying oh we should be doing more social learning um and you know that's you know it's not necessarily something you can just do and decide um uh so you know that that's a, a big thing to to sort of think about i think it's easier to come at it almost from the angle of the as an individual how can i approach it and get into it what can i how can i benefit how can i contribute um, I think actually that is a good question, you know, good point that you, if you contribute, the more that you put in, in a way, the more you get out in, in the social context. Yes. And, and there's nothing quite like the adrenaline rush of a live Twitter chat because, <laughs> <laughs> because my kids, my, my family, they'll walk in sometimes and you talk about different pulls on your time. And it's like, if I'm in a Twitter chat, you would think I was flying an aircraft, honestly. Um, it's like, takes all my attention, all, all things flying around. And it's always a case of what, what are you doing on your phone? And it's like, I'm in a Twitter chat. You have no idea. I mean, I'm in this place. So I'm completely away and completely absorbed by it. But as well as getting that adrenaline rush, which people wouldn't believe you can get that from social learning <laughs> on Twitter, um, the, the connections that you make and the value. So every time I, I participate in something like that, I get such a lot from it. And that's why I do it. And I think people need to go and try out all these things and see if they get a buzz from a Twitter chat or a, or a, a, a webinar or a, a very lively um, webinar chat. And uh, where Andrew and I were just talking just the other the other day, you know, um, learning technologies one, learning uh, LSG one. So uh, so yeah, it's I think just try it. I think that would be my my message. Just try it. Find a little bit of time, try it out, and if you don't like it, you don't have to do it again. But you might just like it. 
So that's a great way of actually finishing off is saying, you know, encouraging people, if you haven't, if you haven't tried some of these things out, give it a go and, you know, see, see what might work for you, see how you might, what you might get out of it. Yeah. Um, it's been amazing chatting with you, Catherine. Um, I think we could probably go on for some hours yet, but <laughs> I, I think we better draw to draw to a close. It's been a complete delight. Thank you so much, Catherine. Well, it has been absolutely wonderful, and uh, and I will see you. I will see you on the other side, somewhere in between Twitter and LinkedIn, no doubt. <laughs> Thank you. Bye. Bye. As you may know, I'm in the virtual room when the speakers are recording and I gave Catherine and Rachel a five-minute warning about 15 minutes before we ended. Um, there's so much rich and valuable conversation in this episode that I was happy to let it run on and apologies, we continue to go over the 30-minute limit or nominal limit that I seem to have um, for episodes. Uh, I think you can understand why this one went on a little bit longer. An enormous thank you to Catherine and Rachel for this recording, their time and wonderful insight. And as mentioned before, their details are in the show notes. We mentioned some upcoming episodes and there are a few we'd like to signpost. The first of these will be a podcast recording day. We're planning to meet in a co-working space where we can record a number of different episodes. Details of these will be out in due course, but... If you're interested, please do get in touch, and we'll be looking for people who are based in London and the southeast of England. Our second upcoming special is going to be a men's episode. We've had a lot of feedback from men who listen to the podcast, and we'd like to do a compilation episode later this year from men who have listened and would like to tell us what they've thought and reflected on since listening to Women Talking About Learning. We are recording regularly. And we've still got plenty of topics to cover, so please do get in touch if you would like to be a guest. As always, thank you for listening, and we'll see you again soon.